Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. His name is Bernie Yao. I met him as a, a young director, though he's now getting a tremendous amount of work in producing as well. As an advice to people, instead of saying, oh, the film industry is really tough and it's not doable, I would say it's extremely doable if it brings you a lot of happiness and joy. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? As I was standing with Robert Redford, this PR person shows up to say hi to Mr. Redford, the director and the person uh, responsible for bringing the production to his airport. And standing right, standing right next to him, uh, in the middle of shooting was me. So I think out of politeness, he turned to me and shook my hand. And uh, I, boy, I did not let that hand go. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me as always is our other host, Fred Keating. Fred, we are in a beautiful location. Why don't you tell our listeners where we are? I will indeed. As your other host, Marvin, I want to welcome everybody seaside here to uh, beautiful False Creek on a sunny day. False Creek in, False in Creek Vancouver, in Vancouver British Columbia, Canada. And uh, as usual, I have brought to you a young man that uh, I've wanted to speak with for a long time and introduce you to. His name is Bernie Yao. I met him as a, a young director, though he's now getting a tremendous amount of work in producing as well. But he's got such an interesting backstory, I want him to tell us about it. So Bernie, thank you for being with us. And tell us where you were before you were here. I grew up in Burnaby, BC, about half an hour out of downtown Vancouver. And before that, uh, I immigrated here with my mother at the age of nine. So yeah, I would say I'm a homegrown Canadian boy grew up playing ice hockey and you know doing Canadian stuff and uh, went to high school in Burnaby Central which is Michael J. Fox's high school and then I attended Emily Carr University for film. Why Emily Carr University and why film? I did a lot of fine arts in high school so a lot of painting and sculpture and it was the strength in my portfolio that got me into Emily Carr which is a art school and I got into film in grade 12 when our district ran a media program. And thinking back, uh, God bless them for taking the risk. And this crazy journey with us all was the first year. So after lunch every day, I would take a bus, go down to Burn Creek Secondary. And they had a media program where that's where I first edited my pieces together. Editing, I think, is really where all the magic comes together. You're shooting all these actors that are doing different stuff you can you can manipulate what they're saying and you you put something together and you makes you realize wow oh wow i can do this and i clocked in a lot of hours when it came to my second year at emily car to pick my major uh, i think i was pretty sure i am a film guy from here here on out you've been out of school for how long now three four years now is the gap between the training and support and encouragement you got inside the university program, either from the instructors or the projects or your colleagues, your classmates, and the real world, the professional business, how that is different. Was it a challenge? How did you meet that challenge? And how did you get started after proudly graduating from, from the university? I think I had an idea of what I wanted to do immediately after school. And looking back now, it might have been a little naive, a little bit too ambitious, and it felt very passionate. It felt like a dream. And the first thing I wanted to do out of school was to write and direct my first feature film, which takes a lot of time and work. 
But looking back in my education, I was really lucky that the program really helped me achieve what I wanted to explore and experiment with. And it's like a trifecta. And the teachers that happened to be there, they had a lot of working artists come in per semester. And the students I went to school with that I am still working with today. Some of them are in Toronto and Winnipeg and it doesn't matter. So you can really be anywhere if those three things, you know, you can, I think you can go to bat, a bad school, but if you have a good teacher or one or two peer that, that really gelled with you. It's also the least expensive professional development you'll ever get again, is it not? Once you get out of uh, the university, any additional sharpening of skills or studying with the, the stars in whatever craft category you're, you're going into, it can get pretty pricey. It is, and I think university is pricey, but what you don't realize while you're in it is uh, the government is paying for a lot of it. Every page of essay that you're printing on, the government is chipping a few cents just to keep that cost down. Part of the dramatic realization when you come out of school is that, hey, the government is, uh, is still there helping out the students, and you're not part of that group anymore. Bernie, I understand that you have experience as, a, as an actor, as a writer, as a director. Now you're working mostly as a producer. In fact, I understand that you're currently working on a short film for Disney. Tell me how all of this dovetails together and how all of these experiences make you better at what you do. It really came down to uh, one person. The project where I met Fred on is my graduation film. And the cinematographer on that film is a young man named Benjamin Loeb. And briefly after graduation, him and his best friend, a director named Kevin Funk, moved to New York. And they needed somebody to help produce a film in Vancouver that they already gotten a grant for. So that's kind of a downside to moving, moving away, you know, the projects that you leave behind. I think just because our graduation film took place at two airports that he was really impressed. And since then, I've produced five, six shorts for Kevin and Ben, music videos, commercials. And in some of those shorts, I, I met other producers, uh, uh, for example, a, a man named uh, Daniel Domochowski, who brought me on to another short film that did really well that went to the Tribeca Film Festival. It's called Poor Retoner. Yeah, one thing leads to another. So I think what I come out of this with, and even at this very moment, I'm producing Kevin Funk's first feature film, which is a feature a version of a short film he did called Destroyer that went to the Toronto Film Festival. So for the next four months, the Calvary men on their high horses are getting together and helping Kevin put this feature film together. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, some of them may not know, what does a producer actually do? I like to think of myself as a versatile person. So when I take meetings with creative people like directors or, or uh, uh, you know storytellers, I just tell them when I'm a producer... I'll take care of everything that's not creative. When I was making my films, uh, that was what I would have wanted most, to not have to think about uh, money and cost and logistics. And So that's how I would define myself as a producer. I think the one out of 10 projects that you say yes to on a whim that pay off is worth it all. But surely there was some takeaway, if only in a further appreciation of uh, what an actor goes through or feels like on set or what a a producer or or production manager needs to deal with on not only a daily but a, a, a moment-to-moment basis, that must have contributed in some way to your effectiveness as a producer. I'd like to think so. Uh, everything you do all goes somewhere. Uh, if you go and get a philosophy degree in school, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to trickle down and help you with whatever you end up doing. Now, as the producer, are you the person who finds the money for the project? Or does somebody else find the money and then you're the person who 
spends it effectively? <laughs> uh, uh, oftentimes I am the spender, but there, there's been cases where I've helped with applications and uh, found uh, in, in Canada, we're very lucky to have a lot of grants to our um, disposal. Whereas I think in America, it's a lot of private funding that you'll be going for. So it uh, depends on the project. Um, and and li like I said, I, I usually sell myself as uh, somebody who can... Uh, do a little bit of everything, um, help out with casting. I need to ask you about something again. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're onto something. The uh, title of this podcast series is "Monetizing Your Creativity," which in in some ways uh, implies uh, earning money, a stream of revenue, uh, much as a producer might need to do in order to get a film off the ground. But in your graduation film where we met, you had an encounter while you were working on another set. And I want you to tell us the story about uh, the deal you struck with, uh, with the international airport to get them to waive their fees for your thesis film. It was a very depressing time of my life. Uh, I had spent years writing, developing this script in school. Um, uh, and it was very crucial that it takes place on an airport because there is a person that crashes in the, in the plane and, and there's some time traveling involved. You can't just, you know, move it to a bus stop and make it a bus. And every airport, local airport, had rejected me. For security reasons? For security reasons and just, I, I think YVR, uh, the Vancouver International Airport would have been $10,000 an hour, which I didn't have sitting around, unfortunately. And some other airports would have been uh, five, $6,000 just to pay the lawyers to draft up the, uh, the permit. And they pretty much all hung up on me and all my teachers were urging me to change my story and I was running out of time because I was graduating. So I was really sad and depressed and I got a call from my acting agent which is not very often and she said yeah you have this audition for this uh, Robert Redford movie called The Company You Keep and I went in I say one line the line is thank you Mr. Haywood which is still in the film and uh, I said okay and, and I guess it's some money towards my film so I did not have a driver's license at this point and my mom was driving me to set and I realized we we're filming at the YXX Abbotsford International Airport. It doesn't say in the script, but I found out much later that I do say this line to the protagonist and the director of the film, Rob Redford. So I, I was, was very excited just to be on the airport set. I said, you know, I was wearing a suit because of my wardrobe. If I can find this PR person and really plea and beg him to reconsider. I did not find him and uh, seven o'clock rolls around and we're, we're shooting. As I was standing with Rob Redford, this PR person shows up to say hi to Mr. Redford, the director and the person uh, responsible for bringing the production to his airport. And standing right, standing right next to him uh, in the middle of shooting was me. So I think out of politeness, he turned to me and shook my hand. And uh, I, boy, I did not let that hand go. I kind of shouted at him a little bit and I said, hey, uh, my name is Bernie. I'm a film student from Emily Carr. I had emailed you about possibly shooting here. And this is the, the cinematographer uh, was waiting and a bunch of backgrounds were all waiting. Mr. Redford was waiting. And in front of everybody, I just asked, do you mind, can I have a meeting with you to talk about this next week? And he looked at Robert Redford, who just kind of nodded. So a week later, I was in his office and we signed the permit. And a month later, I was there with Fred. And it was the first day of snow in that winter. And we had a beautiful white backdrop uh, on the runway. And you got a pretty sweet deal, as I recall. Yeah, I don't know if the monetary value of the deal, uh, which was very sweet, is even uh, close to the fact that I was able to get the permission, which is, to me, priceless. Exactly. There's more currency than coin. You can monetize your creativity without spending or earning a cent, but it can bring to you 
tremendous opportunities to increase your revenue if you're smart enough to take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves. I might add that um, uh, we did a lot of single shots, my scene where I say one line to Mr. Robert Redford. But in the movie that is going to live on forever in cinema history, they used the two shots. So uh, nobody can take that away from me. We were in, this, we were in the same space together. And uh, maybe I'll further monetize that by printing it on T-shirts uh, <laughs> when the time is right. So Bernie, what are your thoughts about the doability of this career for young people? I think it's very doable. The hardship and the tough aspects are perhaps uh, consistency and, and, and money. But I don't think we should, we should weigh that into why we wake up every day and do something because that's what you have to face i'll quote one of my um favorite comedians dimitri martin he said something that, that really struck a chord with me he had a full scholarship to nyu and he was engaged this beautiful lawyer to be also in nyu but he remembered ev- waking up every day and just did not want to get out of bed and eventually he called off the engagement went back home and pursued comedy and now he's a very successful comedian and he says every day if he finds it tough to get out of bed. That happens for more than two, three days in a row. He knows he there's, there's some major changes that needs to happen in his life. So I think it's very doable. You just have to be honest with yourself, the whys and how and the reward of being in a profession pursuing the creative arts. You have to really want it. I think you do. <laughs> I think of a lot of... Uh, things as, as, as fuel that could, you know, say, run your metaphoric train. And uh, money or, or success or, 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 or fame, which are all great and it's all needed to a certain degree, those are not nutritious enough uh, diesel fuel to run the train that is you. You need something much more powerful because sometimes it's hard and sometimes working 40 hours already by Tuesday is, is, uh, is pretty tough. If you don't love it, you're typically gone pretty quickly because you feel you need to go or somebody else on the team feels you need to go. As an advice to people, instead of saying, oh, the film industry is really tough and it's not doable, I would say it's extremely doable if it brings you a lot of happiness and joy. And uh, you, like, like we were living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. And sometimes I, I, I look at stats and it, it, te- it tells me like Vancouver just deranked New York. I'm like, how, how, am I, how am I doing this? How are my actor friends that book two things a year doing this? There is a way if you love it. We have been saying to people, that whatever your current passion is, wherever you are now, whatever age, whatever your current passion is, there is a craft category for those skills in the entertainment industry. Yeah, that sounds to me like a way more practical advice than, you know, I think a lot of advice sounds great, uh, like money is a trap, do what you love, but they could seem abstract and high-nosed or whatever, but I think when you apply that, it is much more tangible. It's pointing a better direction towards something than just saying, giving advice that's hard to follow, basically. Bernie, you've acknowledged that you live in one of the most expensive cities in the world. It's also one of the biggest production centers in the world with respect to film and television. But you're 25 years old, and you're working at this full-time you're making a go of it. I am. And uh, I, like I said earlier, the plan wasn't to go to film school and, and be a producer. But I think a part of it is maybe it is a testament that I am working full-time as a producer now to hopefully, ultimately, still become a writer-director without letting that go. Bernie, talk to us about perseverance. Talk to us about keeping the inspiration alive. I often uh, cite that I uh, 
didn't go to film school. I studied film at an art school, which the benefit of it, I, I got to go through the journey with a lot of artists. And artists are sometimes extreme, uh, and, and they're they're very intense, and, and they're they're kind of a, a different a breed of people. And I think the biggest lesson that I find very valuable, and hopefully this is something I can share with everybody, is just how important it is to keep yourself inspired and, and motivated. Because you think about in school, we we focus so much on on, on the skill and getting better and the, the craft of it all. But there are definitely days where you know you doubt yourself and when things aren't going well. Do you have somebody there to help lift you up? And, and you know, at the same time when they're down, you can help. Do you have a small group? Or, or do, do you know yourself well enough to know how to get yourself inspired? You know, you go for a jog, maybe going to the spa uh, would cheer you up. I love listening to long and edited, like 40-minute interviews of my favorite filmmakers and writers or podcasts, you know. Listening to Charlie Kaufman talk about writing uh, makes you want to lock yourself in a room and, and finish... 20 scripts in one go so I think that's so important because when that inspiration goes and, and, and you don't love it anymore that could be gone forever and uh, I think I've seen a lot of people quit I've seen a lot of people leave to do something else there are a lot of uh, things out there out there in the world that that's luring you in right I think to quote uh, George Clooney from up in the air it's like how much money did they first pay you to give up on your dreams it's almost like uh artistic suicide isn't it it's it's quitting without considering the possibility that things could change the following day i just found out yesterday i um my, my friend got a injury uh in, in his collarbone his bone is popping out and he was talking to a friend of his who's a doctor from cornell and he said your entire arm is only connected to skeletal wise is only connected through this like small bone in front of your collar area so i think of it like that you, you it's it's something want to wake up in the morning and jump out of bed and and you know go edit your photograph and go to the coffee shop with your buddy and and and, and really work out uh, uh you know some writing when that's gone your, your entire arm is off everything else that you worked so hard for all the accumulated skills and it goes away also like be careful with your collarbone guys that's uh, my, the main point, really. I had no idea we were going to get medical advice as well as as entertainment industry advice, but we're grateful. I have one more anecdote I'd like to share that I think reflects on Bernie's experience as well as uh, the broader population of craft categories in the entertainment industry. I got a lot of friends in the stunt community. I danced around the edges of that for a couple of years. And when I remember asking a fellow, how do you get into stunt work? Other than going to one of these stunt camps and paying an outrageous amount of money to learn how to do a somersault without breaking your arm. And he said, you have to be a champion at something. Champion skier, champion tennis guy, champion hot rod racer, champion bareback rider, something that you are the best at, there'll be a film that comes along that requires exactly that skill, and they will want the best. And so if they contract you and you get to know people and they see how you operate on set and you're a champion in your own niche, but you seem to like the movie industry, then they'll say, you know what, kid, maybe you ought to try... You know, I know you're good on horses. You want to try driving in this scene? You want to try? But but first, you have to put in the work and the time and demonstrate the resilience of a champion. It's not an easy gig. It's not a short-time gig either unless you want to make it that way. It's a, you got to take the long view. That is uh, really well put. And I think you mentioned earlier uh, some, some actors might go into auditions already thinking, oh, you know... Uh, Ben Cotton is sitting over there. Michael Eklund is sitting over there. I've already, they've, they've already won the role. I've already lost, right? But make them an offer that they can't turn away from. Go in there and be absolutely breathtaking. 
Easier said than done. You know what? I think we should do another episode with this very sharp producer with respect to auditions. Bernie, would you mind uh, joining us again? Given the amount of hours you spent in audition halls, could we come back? Because so many craft categories and, of course, people just going for regular civilian job interviews also have interview challenges, uh, audition challenges, if you will. Can we visit with you again and get a little bit more of your take on do's and don'ts in the audition room? I would love to come back and do that. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.